All right, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4. It says, And the word of the Lord came to all Israel. Or, excuse me, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh and brought from the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, excuse me, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck down the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you come become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very, a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell and the ark was, of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. As we continue, verse 12, the man of Benjamin um, ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn with dirt on his, and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there was also there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from 
Israel, because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband, she cried and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Amen. All right, so as we look at all of chapter four, I have this question and I think maybe you have the same question that I do. How does God interact with sin? That's pretty much the question of our day today. Uh, the topic of this sermon is divine judgment, and it's easy to see why we are talking about that because of what's happening to Eli and his household here in uh, chapter 4. So it brings about this question, how does God interact with sin? Does he uh, actually bring everything under his sovereign judgment? Uh, does he let some sin go? Uh, what exactly does God do uh, with sin and uh, does he do the same as today as he did back then? I think these are all great questions to ask yourself as you go through a passage like this. Uh, some like to detach the Old Testament from the New Testament. They say, well, that's not the same God that we serve. The Old Testament God was a different God. You know, now it's all a covenant of grace and we, we serve a different God. But the scripture says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes, right? So we have that understanding. And we know that from a biblical theology standpoint, from the beginning to end, the Bible is about Christ. It's about the redemption that, people, that, that God's people have in Christ. And so from the very beginning, Adam and Eve and how they fell, the redemption that was promised there in Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the very end of the Bible. It's all about Christ and it's all about how we are sinners in need of a Savior. So God does not change. I can answer that question for you. And Yes, God is the same, and God still deals with sin, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we see that God does not let sin go unchecked or unbridled. But one thing we do know is that um, there is immediate consequences for sin, but we also know that where sin is, God's judgment is there as well. God's judgment never passes over sin. God always judges, and he judges rightly. And this is the case in today's world as well. And that's something that maybe we don't think about or, or maybe we take for granted. I'm not really sure. But as Christians, we need to know that God's judgment is, first of all, sovereign and it is always present. See, by his sovereign will, God uses sin to bring about his purpose. Uh, and his purpose is always in Christ. That is something that we have to understand. But, God even, but although that God uses his sovereign will to bring about his purpose, we need to know that God definitely deals with sin. And case in point is today's passage concerning Eli and his household. Now, as I was reading this chapter, I was trying to think of how different people may read this thing or how people may see this, this, this uh, chapter and apply it to their lives. And I think one thing that is very common, especially in, in the United States, is to look at a chapter like this and say, this is the United States, like this is the United States of America, right? And, and to compare ourselves to Israel and to say, you know, we were founded on godly principles and this is God's nation. And, and on, if only this, this nation would turn away, uh, you know, from their idols, only if, if we would focus on God again, then everything would, would kind of come back to the way it used to be, the good old days. But the problem is, is that the good old days was never good for everyone, right? Amen? Because sin has always existed. Because anybody can say, man, I, why can't things be like they used to be? And you can go as far as back as you want. If you go back to the 30s and 40s, 
Why can't they be that way? 50s or 60s? There are some obvious things that we know that were sinful in those times. It wasn't the good old days. Even if you go back before then, it was never the good old days. Not good as compared to God is good. God is holy. Not not good like that. So I think if we look at this and we think about the United States, we're missing the mark. Because this is not about a nation per se. This is about a nation of God. Does that make sense? It's not about an earthly nation. It's about a nation of God. This is not about the United States. Rather, this is more applicable to the church. And that's what I think it's more applicable to. To the church. And so as we read this passage, I think it's important, it's important for us as the church to hear this and to see this as a warning for us. As a lesson learned for us as we live our lives today. Because when we read a passage like this, um, yeah, it's evident. God judges sin. And we'll talk about how he does that here in this chapter. But we can clearly see that, that how God deals with sin and how, what that means for us as we live as fallen people in a fallen world. I think it's important for us to see how God deals with sin because why? Because we're sinful people. Yeah, I'll stand in line and I'll raise my hand and I'll say I'm forgiven by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Yes, but yet I still struggle with sin. And we're all in the same boat. And not only are we sinful people, but we also live in a sinful world or a fallen world. So I think a chapter like this is very important to us. There are three things that I want us to look at concerning the judgment of God. The very first thing is this, that God's judgment is sure. It's sure it will come to pass. It will happen. It happens every single day. It may be happening and we don't even realize it. I know one thing as I read this chapter, it's extremely humbling to read about the judgment of God and how it came upon Eli and his household. And the thing is, is that they were warned beforehand and God delivered on his promise to deal with their sin as he said he would. Let's uh, turn back to chapter two. There are two prophecies that were given to Eli. One came directly to Eli or from a prophet to Eli and This was God's warning to him uh, then. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 30 through 34. It says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, 
to grieve his heart, all the descendant, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, both of them shall die on the same day. That's the first one, chapter 2. Then we go to chapter 3. This one came to Eli from Samuel. Of course, Samuel spoke to, or excuse, the Lord spoke to Samuel, and then Samuel gave the message to Eli. Uh, starting in verse 12. He says, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming, blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now, those are the two prophecies that came to Eli. Eli heard this. Of course, his heart was troubled by it. And uh, he knew that there was no changing God's mind about it. Uh, he had accepted it for what it was. But one thing that is real interesting is that God's judgment came upon Eli and his household and, for, and the nation of Israel, for that matter. It came upon them on the battlefield. And it came upon them in a battle with the Philistines. Now, when you understand the Philistines, the Philistines were an ancient uh, enemy of, of Israel. They had been fighting for years and years and years. And it was, it's interesting that God uses the Philistines uh, as vessels of judgment for the Israelites. And when we look at our story, we see that after being defeated the first time, because the first time it says that they lost 4,000 men, that was nothing compared to what they were about to lose in the second battle. But after the first time, the, um, the Israelites, they realize something is going on. They are wondering why did God give us into the hands of the Philistines? They ask that question. They realize that something is wrong. But notice there is no seeking. There is no self-seeking. There is no analyzation of the heart. There, there is nothing else, but there is an idea. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. And let's bring that over here, and surely we will win. Why do they do that? Well, because it happened before in the past. In the past, that had worked. They would bring the Ark of the Covenant and, and, and the Lord's hands would be with them, and then they would win the battle because he was their strength. He was their might. But remember what the Lord had told Eli, I will take your strength from you. It wasn't just talking about his physical strength because Eli was already 98 years old. There's not much strength he had left. He was talking about his mercy and his grace. And the promise to Eli was, I'm going to take your strength from you. And you're going to see what you amount to. So even though they bring in the Ark of the Covenant and they have it there in the battlefield. And, and by the way, when the Philistines find out that the Ark of the Covenant is there, they are terrified. It's awesome to see the testimony of God 
and how terrified people were of God because they knew about the stories from Egypt. And they knew, they thought it was many gods, but they knew that this God that was in the, Philist- in the Israelite camp was, was someone to be reckoned with. Someone, that, someone who was very, very powerful, more powerful than any God that they worshipped. But see, it didn't matter if they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp or not. It wasn't going to make a difference that day. Because God had already said that he would take the strength away from Eli and his household. And we also see that that went to the nation of Israel. So even though it had worked in the past, it was not going to save them today. You start asking, why? Why would God do something like that? And does he do it today? The things that we go through as a nation, is it because of sin? The things that we go through as a world, is it because of sin? I mean, because you can only, there's one way, there's one or two ways you can stand. You can either say, yeah, because it's, a, because it's from sin or because of sin, or you can say it's because of chance or by chance. If it's by chance and no one is in control, there's no one who's sovereign and things are just happening randomly. But if it's because of sin, there's someone who rules. There's someone who's in control. And there is a purpose. There is a purpose. See, as Christians, we go to the idea of the trouble that we have in this world is because of sin. And we don't come to that conclusion on our own. God's word tells us that. And the trouble that we have in our life, personally speaking, is because of sin as well. So we know that all things that happen to us and around us is because of the consequences of sin. That's why the hope that is in us is is so joyful because we are looking forward to a world that has no sin. Where we will not have to deal with the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. But before we can get there, we have to live here. And we have to deal with the things here and now. And we have to realize that sin has to be dealt with. God is good because he deals with sin. If he did not deal with sin, he would not be good. So it's, it's a wonderful thing that God deals with sin, even though it does not feel good many times. And notice here that when God is dealing with the sin of Eli and his household, notice how many people it affects. It's not just them, it's everyone. I think that's something that we pass over a lot of times. We think, well... I sin, so God should just deal directly with me. We try to define those terms, and God doesn't, uh, he doesn't act upon our terms. 
He is holy. He is good. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. In other words, he is sovereign. He is the creator. We are the creation. He does as he pleases. So think about that as we look at Eli and his household and how they sin egregiously against the Lord. There was no repentance from them. And the day of judgment had come upon them. And I, as I said before, it's shocking to see how many people their sin affected. But the Bible says that God will bring every deed into judgment. Now listen to this. Whether it's a secret thing and whether it's good or evil, God will bring it into judgment. That's Ecclesiastes 12, 14. God is very clear to say and to warn us that he will bring every deed into judgment. When we talk about judgment, what is it? Other than a decision that is made, when we talk about judgment, especially from a theological standpoint, judgment is a divine act of God to bring about his justice on sin. That's what judgment is. It's a divine act of God to bring about his justice on sin. There has to be justice. Things have to be made right. We see that from the very beginning of scripture, from the very beginning of time. And so when God brings about his judgment, it's him bringing about his justice on sin. And his judgments occur throughout the whole Bible. And the awesome thing about it is that every time we see his judgments in Scripture, the Lord is completely right and he is completely justified in bringing about his will. Listen to this from Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8. It says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. See, the Lord is never wrong. And he's never out of control. Now, I think that is extremely helpful for us as a church. If we're going to look at this um, story as it applies to the church, I think it's important for us to know that he is enthroned forever. He has established his throne of justice. He judges the world rightly and he upholds his judgments with uprightness. Because when we look at the world around us, we see the wickedness of the world and we see what is going on today. And when we see what is going on today, we may question God's handling of sin. And I think that's where we have to be cautious and that's where we have to get centered or calibrated again with scripture. And we have to realize God always deals with sin. Because it seems like people who want nothing to do with God are the ones who are getting ahead in this world. It seems like they are getting everything that they want. It seems like they have the biggest influence. So it seems like sin is winning, but we know that nothing is greater than God. And we know that God 
Him being sovereign, he never gives up his power. He's never on the losing side. Scripture tells us again and again to take heart that even though things around us look like they're falling apart, God is still on his throne. And that's something that we have to remind ourselves about every single day. And by the way, we need to remind ourselves of what the Bible says about depravity as well. We may think the devil is winning because everyone is depraved and everything is out of the control of God and out of, out of the control of his power. We have to remember that depravity is judgment from God. Romans chapter 1, go back and read it. He gives them over to a debased mind. He gives them over to the passions of their hearts, the passions of their flesh, to do things that ought not be done. Us living in a fallen world, seeing things that we never imagined we would see, that's part of God's judgment. I mean, I know you agree with me when... Now, in these days, you have to monitor your kids watching commercials. Amen? Not only that, I have to monitor myself watching commercials. It's easy for us to see things have changed. Things are different. The day of evil is surely here. But God, God is not out of control. God hasn't lost. In fact, he is not losing. We can see that all of this is part of his judgment. See, today many mock God. But really, is it any different than it has been in the past? Again, we talk to people and they say and they talk about the good old days. But even if we go back way, way, way back then, in biblical times, is it any different than the days of Noah? People mocked God then. How about the days of Moses? Pharaoh mocked God then. I can go on and on and on with each biblical character. Every generation, people mock God. And what do we see in Scripture? What do we see happens? Every time God brings things into judgment. So you must trust that God brings every deed into judgment and everyone will give an account for what they do in the body. Trust that. Trust that vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. But now on the other hand, because it's very easy for us to look out and say, man, this world is wicked. It needs to change. It has problems. But we have to remember to look inward. If we are going to consider the world and its sin, we must also consider our own sin. And we must also acknowledge that God will bring every deed of ours into judgment. All right, and we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end. But that's one thing I want us to see in this passage, that God's judgment is sure. Second thing. When we look at this passage, God's, we see that God's judgment is timely. Not only is it sure, but it's timely. 
Now, the thing is, is that you try to look for a timeline of uh, all the way back to uh, chapter 2 of when Eli was first warned uh, about this judgment that was coming. And there's no timeline as far as years that is given from when that first announcement took place to this judgment of Eli on Eli and his household that we are seeing today. Um, the only thing that we know is that Eli was 98 years old whenever God delivered on his promise to judge him and his household. So we don't know how many years passed between chapter 2 and all the way to chapter 4. But it doesn't matter because, you know, God's not bound by any time. It's, it's all according to his will. But what we can see from our passage is that no one really expected it. After the first battle, they lost 4,000 men. They called the Ark of the Covenant. So it was not uncommon. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant went, Hophni and Phinehas, they were with the Ark of the Covenant. And so they were just assuming their regular duties that day. They went with the Ark of the Covenant on the battlefield. And obviously they, they were not the ones having to fight. They were there with the Ark, present with the Ark. As long as the Ark was there, was there um, the, the Israelites believed the presence of God was there. So they were there with the Ark of the Covenant, and they had no clue they were going to die that day. Eli, when he woke up that morning, he had no clue what would happen that day. See, God's judgment came upon them swiftly. Notice that there was no chance to bargain. I grew up with two cousins of mine. These two cousins, I, I, I love them to this day. Well, well one, one went to be with the Lord a long time ago. Uh, he was actually murdered um, around 19, 1990, I believe was the year he was murdered. He was in gang activity. That's, that's, that's a story for another sermon. But these two cousins of mine, they were tough, rough and tough. And man, did they do a number on us every time they came to visit. They were from Houston and they would come to visit. And every time they came, it was, a, it was wonderful to see them. But it was also a time where we found out that some of those wrestling moves that we used to see on TV, they were real. They were real painful. And I look back at those years and, and you know, there was so much that I had learned from them about defending myself and standing up for myself because I had no choice but to do that when they were around. It was one of those things where they just played real rough with us, but if anybody, you know, threatened us or came against us, you better believe they had our backs. But this went on for years and years and years. And I got to the point where I got tired of them messing with me. So then I knew it was going to happen anyway. So then I began to do things to them before they did things to me. And I started to notice that if I did something to them and they came to attack me, I could bargain with them. I could give them something I had or promise them to give them something I, I didn't have. Whatever it was, I could bargain with them. 
Sometimes they would listen and sometimes they would not. I think about that because there was always a chance for me to do that. But here, when we look at what's going on, there is no chance for anyone to bargain with God. God's judgment just came, and it came when he said it would come. It came according to his will. There was no, hey, wait a second, God, I'm, I'm not ready. Wait, wait, I haven't seen my grandkids yet. Wait, I haven't been married yet. Wait, there's so much I haven't experienced yet, Lord. You have to wait for me. There was nothing like that. It was this awesome power that just came down, executed the judgment, and everybody was left in awe. As we read it in scripture, it is completely amazing. I don't know if you've ever felt helpless in a situation, but as I think about that day, that's the first thought that comes into my mind. The feeling of helplessness. Facing a power that you know you can do nothing about. See, many are counting on a deathbed confession. Many are counting on a deathbed confession before they leave this world. They think that, oh, you know what? I'm going to have time to make peace with God. Or maybe that's not it. As I look around, I, I love to see the younger generation here. And I'm talking about the teenagers, the ones who are awake at least. And as they, as they sit there, we can remember ourselves sitting there in their chair, in their life, and you're just thinking, I, I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time. But as adults, we know how fast that time goes by. There are some here today that thought they had plenty of time. They're no longer here. And for us who are here, we know, boom, just like that. So what we have to remember is that God's judgment is based upon his will. It's based upon his time and not our own. James chapter 4 verse 14 says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I don't have to tell anyone here that life is fleeting. We all know that. And we, we love to have schedules. We love to be organized. We love for things to happen according to our timing, but God does not work that way. That's a hard lesson for us to learn because we learn it over and over and over again and yet we fall back into the trap that we can control everything. See, not only does God deal with sin, but he deals with it perfectly 
And it's always based on his timing and not our own. This reminds me of a time when Jesus' disciples came and spoke to him. And they wanted to ask him about the end times. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. And their question to Jesus was, well, when is it going to happen? When is the end of the age going to happen? And so here are the signs of the end of the age. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14. Now, as I read this passage, think about the things that are going on around us today. See how this relates to what we are living through now. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Then he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end come. I think as we look at that passage and we consider God's judgment and how timely it is, we need to realize we do not know when it will happen, his final judgment. We do not know when it will happen. All we know is that God has told us to be ready when it happens. Jesus told his disciples, do not be caught asleep. We must keep our hearts and our minds on Christ in order to be ready. So here's my plea to you today. As the church of God, seek repentance while it's still available to you. Now here's my plea as well to those who do not know Christ. Maybe you're part of the visible church. You come to church often but you do not know the Lord. My advice is the same for you. Seek repentance while it's still available to you. Because you never know when God's final judgment will come. And then that takes us to the third point. I spoke about God's final judgment, but we also have to acknowledge that his judgment in itself is final. Eli and his family are a sad reminder of the finality of God's judgments. 
once it had uh, once it has come, once judgment has come, there is nothing anyone can do to change things. God's judgment was not only final, but then we also see that it was complete. Uh, look at what happened. Eli, his sons, his daughter-in-law, they were all dead. Let's remind ourselves who Eli was again. Eli was the priest of Israel, the spiritual leader of the nation. So him, his sons, and his daughter-in-law had died. Israel was severely defeated in the battle. They lost countless amount of men. The ark was captured. And then we see this one part of passage that is extremely sad. We see the naming of a child. And that's where we see the culmination of God's judgment on Eli and his household. That's where the realization happens. As the daughter-in-law is dying, she names her child Ichabod. The meaning of Ichabod was the glory has departed from Israel. Remember when God said, I will take your strength away? That child's name was a reminder of, his, of God's judgment. The glory has departed from Israel. Yeah, she was looking at the capture, the capturing of the Ark of the Covenant. But her words were more prophetic than that. It spoke to exactly what was happening. God had removed his mercy. God had removed his grace. So therefore, his glory was removed. When final judgment comes, there is no time for repentance. The time for forgiveness is over. All that has passed. It's time for the penalty to be paid. This reminds me too of when I was a little kid. I, my, mother was, my mother was quite a woman and she was the one who disciplined us in our house. And um, the way she disciplined us was with the belt. I know that's kind of, people don't do that anymore or don't do it as often as they used to. But uh, my mother surely did it, and I was very familiar with the belt. The belt and I were best friends. The funny thing is, though, and, and, and I'm not just exaggerating, I, I have a childhood friend who's here, and Brother Jason Reyes right here. He grew up whenever, with me when I was a, when I was a child. He can attest to uh, my mother and, and how she was. She meant business. But as a child always kind of poke the bear, you know? You sit there and you see what you can get away with. You mess with her, mess with her, mess with her. And all the while, she's, she's giving me a warning, but I continue to do that thing. And she says, if you do it one more time, I'm going to get the belt out. And if you tell a kid that, what is he going to do? Well, some obey, but if it were me, you poke the bear one more time. And... That was it. There were so many warnings and then judgment came. I think about that as I look around in this world, as, as, we, as we live in this world. People don't take God seriously. That's the thing that, that I did not, I thought, oh, she'll give me another chance. She's just playing. She really don't mean it. 
she meant it. Say the same thing about God. Oh, he doesn't exist. If he did, he's love. He, he He wouldn't punish us like that. He doesn't mean it. No, he means it. He wouldn't have said it if he didn't mean it. See, all have been warned that God will judge the world, but not all believe it. Those who do not believe it will find out like Eli and his sons. But we who believe that God will judge the world, listen, we have been called to faith and repentance. You and I, we're the church. We must live in faith and repentance. Does that mean we're going to sin? Of course. That's why we need to live in faith and repentance. We can't just continue to sin, continue to disobey God's word. We can't just continue to accept it, live in it, and say it's just all going to work out in the end. We have to live in faith and repentance. It's what God has commanded us to do. But listen, it's so easy to fall into our own bad habits. It's so easy just to let things go. How many of y'all have worked really hard watching what you eat? You start to lose weight. It feels really good. How fast does it come back on once you just eat a piece of pie or something, right? You lose 50 pounds. I remember one time years ago, I lost 50 pounds. Came off. I felt great. I ate one piece of chocolate pie. 60 pounds came back. And it comes back so quickly. Our sanctification, God does so much in us. He brings us so far. We're so proud of who we are that we're not who we used to be. Oh, but if we just let sin surround us and we play with sin, we're just a sin away from that bad habit again. Not that that sin can take away our salvation, but the fact is we do not want to mess with sin. We don't want it in control of our lives anymore. We do not serve sin. We serve a mighty God. So people are warned, but yet they don't believe it. We ourselves, we know God will judge every deed of ours. But do we really think about it? We need to live as his church in faith and repentance. Because when we talk about the culmination of God's judgment, we see that that is found in the cross. And this is where us living in faith and repentance is important. Jesus was crucified to pay the penalty of sin for those who believe. That would be us, church. God's judgment was placed on Christ. His judgment was placed on Christ and and the righteousness of Christ was placed on his people. That's what the gospel tells us. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. See, without faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, this atonement that we speak of doesn't take place. And without faith in Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. So what does that mean? That means the consequences of your sin is spiritual death, which equates to the removal of God's mercy and grace from your life. In other words, you become like Ichabod. Or at least what his name stands for. The glory has departed from you. God will bring everything you do into judgment. He will require justice for your sin. The only thing that you have that will save you is the atonement of the cross. Jesus crucified for your sins. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And again, Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, from our text, we know that God's judgment is sure. It's timely and it's final. So I think this is the plea for the church. Seek him now while he, might, while he may be found. God's present grace is supposed to lead us to repentance. As his people, we should not take the riches of his kindness for granted. So two parting thoughts. As Christians, we must first preach the gospel to ourselves and then also to those who do not know Christ. While we are preaching the gospel to ourselves, we must not forget the examples of Eli and his sons. Here's a verse that I want to leave you with as you preach the gospel to yourself. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. Man, I love that. Because we always have our eyes on other people. Always. But Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it all begins right here. That's something Eli did not do. What was Eli's sin? He did not control his sons. He had the power. He had the ability. He had the opportunity. And he let it happen. And not only did he let it happen, he continued to let it happen again and again and again and again. And the way God saw it was that Eli loved his sons more than he loved him. And that was the punishment that was given to Eli. 
glory of the Lord would be removed from him. So church, remember his story and keep a close watch on your life. Secondly, as we preach to those who do not know Christ, we must remember that the time is urgent, but we must preach Christ with mercy and grace. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen, as a Christian, you need to realize that you are called to share the gospel. That calling never goes away. Once you become a Christian, all the way until you die. As long as you can speak, as long as you can function, as long as you can do it, that's what you are called to do. Now, the thing is, I think we all intend to do it, but the thing is, is that sometimes opportunities go by us. Why? Because we're not ready. Passage says here, be ready in season and out of season. Be a student of the word. Be a person of prayer. Always be ready for an opportunity to share the word of God with somebody. Don't get caught by surprise. It happens to all of us. It happens to me as well. So we always have to push ourselves to be ready in season and out of season. It reminds me of like athletes today, professional athletes today. There is no off season anymore. I remember when I was growing up, there was an actual off season, even the high school sports. There's really no off season. These guys are training year round. Spiritually speaking, we are being told to train year round, day after day, to be ready. Use the word of God to reprove, rebuke, exhort. But do this with patience. Do this with soundness. Do this knowing that it is the spirit of the Lord who is working. You are just the vessel. I think that's important for us to remember. So to those that are lost around us or even those that are around us and are not living in the way that they should be living. We as Christians, we need to continue to be that beacon of hope. We need to shine the light in darkness. We need to bring the gospel to people's lives, but we cannot forget to bring it to ourselves first. Stories like this of God's judgment are very important to us. And it's very important that we learn from them. Let us pray.